Everybody, Cable Smith here, welcoming each and every one of you into episode 58, that is 58, episode 58 of Justified Pursuit. It's good to be here. It's great to have the co-host, the good counselor, my buddy of 20 plus years now, Chisholm Cook. I haven't seen you in like three days, man. So uh, I know. how you been? <laughs> Miss you, man. Yeah. Uh, not bad. Um, seems like every time... Uh, article comes across my radar it um seems to be supporting what we think and believe and <laughs> choose to do with our lives and our bodies uh yeah there's a lot to get into on today's episode regarding all of that a couple quick hits though well actually let's talk we about a, the hunt, hunt. yeah let's talk yeah. about that uh henry had an opportunity to shoot a, a management buck on your place and you and i went out and pulled cards at like it was like damn near midnight by the time we got back on Thursday night. Friday morning, we're in the blind, and uh, the buck comes out. It was so foggy, man. I didn't want to let him shoot the wrong deer on, on on my buddy's place especially, but anyone's place. You know, you want to be respectful when you've got an invitation to go somewhere. Um, you want to make sure you're, you're, you're looking at the right animal. And I was like, dude, finally the fog lifted. I'm like, I called you from the blind. I was like, I'm looking at this buck. I think it's him. But this buck's super wide. Like, are you sure an eight-year-old is supposed to shoot this deer? <laughs> super wide is certainly a subjective term coming okay. from Watch. somebody who has to hunt in 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 uh, antler restri- antler restriction counties on a yeah. season by season basis. Yeah. For those who don't know, up in Cable's Neck in the woods and certain other parts of the state, uh, there's like a thirteen and a half inch rule, right? Yeah. That thirteen white- inches. 13 a whitetail's in antler the rack has to be at least 13 inches wide inside spread mm-hmm. which is not very big um so he gets down to south texas <laughs> the, your mistake this time was better than the last time you misunderstood your what you were looking at based on your experience with antler restrictions right uh but yeah he was looking at was probably like a 16 17 inch wide buck i would think it would be a hell of a deer for an eight-year-old for, sure. for his first buck, you yeah. know? And I'm just like, I do, I do not know if this is really the buck that he's supposed to shoot. Finally verified it. The fog's lifted. I'm, you've, you've talked me into the fact that, I, yeah, it is the buck that I think it is. And then this damn doe walks right in front of the, the buck when Henry's now on the gun, looking at the thing broadside. I said, okay, whenever you're comfortable, take your shot, slowly squeeze the trigger. Boom. Doe walks right in front. No shot opportunity, and then the buck just stood there and then turned around and walked straight out of our lives for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> it's tough, man. <laughs> but, you know, he shot a javelina, and that was cool. I'm, I'm going to get the the skull European mounted for him. Um, I don't even think – I mean, he knows we cut the head off, but I don't know that he realizes that I banged my head walking out of the walk-in cooler getting that thing, and then I'm just going to surprise him. You know, just one day it'll just be in his room. Um but the coolest thing was that he got to provide dinner for all of camp. 
Yeah, he did. Uh, dinner for our house last night, too. We had Havelina taco, taco leftovers. Yeah. Let me ask a question before we get into that. Did he shoot at three Havelinas that last morning? Because that's what one of my daughters reported. I think it was two. It might have been the same <laughs> Okay. Moment. You yeah. never told me that. Uh, it was well, a rough morning. Yeah, it was. But uh, <laughs> no, he... Sorry he, to burn you, he, Hank, on our show. But. Yeah, it's no big deal. Uh, which is why He's I was nine. like, when he... He's He's eight, so. But he's turned nine. Turns nine at the end of the month, right? He does. He does. Yeah, so he's nine. Okay, we'll round it up. Um, but yeah, so he dropped that javelina. So I'm feeling pretty good about his confidence level. And then yeah, the next day nothing really happened. Temperatures got, got really hot. Hot. Um, we never. I think we saw one more mature buck after that. But that first morning, dude, we had like seven different bucks running around. One of them was breeding a doe right in front of the feeder. And I was like, told Henry that the buck was just giving her a hug. And he's like, well, why does he do it from the back? And I was like, oh, that's just how deer hug each other. <laughs> I guarantee you he sniffed BS out of that. And just, uh, uh, you know, didn't know what to replace it with. <laughs> but he doesn't know about penetration and how it actually Yikes. all happens. So, yeah. And I think at nine years old, we're going to keep it that way for a little bit longer. Right for the best. He still believes in Santa Claus. So, you know. <clears throat> Although on the way home from the lease, he did ask, Mom, Dad, are you the ones that really buy our presents and just say Santa does it? And who and I also think maybe you move the elves and y'all are just messing with us. And he says this in front of his sisters who are just turned seven and definitely still believe. And I was like, wonder if one, wonder if one I, of my kids ruined it for him. <laughs> I I totally let Aaron field those questions and I just sat there driving in silence. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, um but yeah, so the last morning he shoots a doe at, and I got out of the blind to take a dump and I get back in and I told him, I said, if a doe walks out, you know what to do. It's a big deal for almost nine-year-old. Sure. So I, I get back and I don't think anything's going to walk out. He's just shot and missed two javelina. He, he's on the gun looking at this doe that's way behind the feeder. I'm thinking 170 yards, probably a little too far for him to shoot, but He's like, all right, I'm comfortable. I said, okay, boom, right on the front shoulder. Deer's shoulder is completely busted. She reared up on both back legs. And here's the crappy thing about hunting is sometimes you don't recover the animals. And yep. uh, we looked, found good blood. Like all of camp came to help to help look. Um, it was last morning we were trying to get out of camp. You need to be out of there by 11. You know, I think he shot at 8.45. And... Uh, the deer's definitely dead, but South Texas, dude, it's so thick. For anyone that hasn't been down there, literally. And Chisholm and I have experienced the first deer I ever shot with a bow and arrow. We tracked, like, uh, Indians on our hands and knees for half a mile through the thickest stuff on in Texas. And this was no different. And, uh, you know, all we really did was just get covered in cactus and gave it our best effort. But at the end of the day, couldn't find the deer. Yeah, I would say that that stuff's even thicker than in that that particular part of our ranch is uh, dude it's just a mess unless you have um, a dog you're not, it's gonna be very you're gonna have to stumble across the deer yeah yeah oh, he she we 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 searched pretty diligently in some extraordinarily thick crap uh and yeah to no avail and your 13 year old daughter is doing? the one who actually found the blood which was very impressive she has a riley has a real knack for that she's really really good at it man. and was very into it like oh she loves that yeah 
She was she literally on her hands and knees. Year. Yeah. Looking like falling little tiny specks of blood. Um, but there was a couple good, like really good pools of blood. I mean, the deer's dead and probably died pretty quickly. I don't know if I'd say really good pools of blood. There weren't any of those big puddles that you sometimes well, find. I'm just even trying to defend my kid, okay? You know? No, no, I mean, I'm saying like there was blood for sure, but I've, I've lost deer where you find something the size of a big dinner plate mm-hmm. with like clumps and, you know, like clots oh, yeah. in it and still don't find the deer, you know? Yeah. Well, it's especially true in that part of the world. So, yeah. But man, it is a beautiful part of the world and great, great whitetail hunting for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're managing the ranch, the population, et cetera, need to take some does. Um, it would certainly be way more awesome if that deer was in your freezer right now, but, um, mm-hmm. most likely the, uh, kind of primary mission was accomplished knocking out a doe. So yeah. it's not all bad. As a game warden once told uh, a friend of mine who caught, kept a speckled trout that was like an eighth of an inch too short, and he told him, you know, son, crabs have got to eat too. Coyotes got to eat too. So It's true. And that was, that was another element of that trip was the trapping thing that Henry got to see firsthand how you run your trap line. And we actually caught a coyote that last uh, morning. So Yeah. That was pretty cool to see the whole cool. thing, you know, watching you set the snares and coming to fruition the last day. And, and my kids know, I mean, we shoot coyotes on our, on our lease and actually Stella, when she was four years old, was sick one day, stayed home with me. The other kids went to school. I caught a coyote in a leg hold at my place in Collin County and she got to go over there. And I mean, what coyote was alive, watch dad shoot it in the head with a pistol and put it down quickly and ethically this sounds pretty graphic for a four-year-old but that's how my kids and your kids have been raised and they understand that predator management is a big part of of what we do as well they will never suffer the delusions that society seems to be suffering from now that if they just nerf enough stuff they'll be able to live forever speaking of delusions javelina not fit for the table what in the world is that about silly silly i was guilty of it uh once upon a time I never didn't believe they could be good. Uh, I just never had uh, guts or wherewithal or whatever to make a go of trying it for a long time. Um, I cooked the first one I shot at the Mendiola, your your other place down there, seven years ago. It's been a while. Yeah, I was thinking about that. that. Do you remember what we did, if anything, with that gland? Because you were cutting just the back straps out, which that gland sits right on top of. Yeah, and I have even this vague recollection of maybe you slicing it wide open, but nah, I could have I totally created that, that memory. Would have been a traumatizing experience, I think. I would like think so. Smell would be nasty. Yeah, but no, I mean, the javelina was edible when I made it, but I wouldn't have yeah. said it was good. It was. Right. It passed off. Like I took it over to our mutual buddies, one of our fraternity brothers' places, and we ate it, and it wasn't bad. But what we had the other night was exceptional. Brother Buck is losing his mind right now. He has, I, I have yet to cook him some avelina, but he, he just refuses to accept the notion that it's not just edible, but, but very good to your point. Uh, so Buck, if you're listening, we'll take care of that soon. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll see the light, uh, dude. So that was what we had. What do we have? Eight, eight adults there. Seven. Mm, yeah. Probably seven, two, four, six, seven adults. Seven. Um, like f- six kids. Six kids. Yeah. 
almost I mean, it, there was very little javelina left compared to how much we had when we started everybody agreed it was good everybody uh, all thought but it two was... people thought it was better than the venison right and those right. two people admitted that it was probably a mental thing that the familiarity with the venison was you know part of why they were rep- i mean the truth was dude the venison venison neck roast especially venison neck has a very strong venison game flavor mm-hmm. compared to like backstrap or tenderloin or anything else right sure um even after i had aged it for like over two weeks javelina is so clean mild it's like store-bought pork um yeah anyway everybody loved it ate the well, heck I out cleaned of it. it and i can tell you the smell of the animal was non-existent like you yeah, i thought you that know, was a very interesting comment by you yeah if you were cleaning a white-tailed buck you're gonna know it smells you're gonna if you get it's touch its hawks you're gonna get that smell on your hands and Dude, it's think very, about the elk that we've pungent. smelled think about the oh, elk yeah. that we've that we butchered the fact that people cry like babies about the stink on a javelina but like you know we'll get up <clears throat> stiffy over the idea of standing over a dead ruddy elk mm-hmm. what's the difference man There's ruddy no. elk stink and the javelina is more like bristles and so yeah. that doesn't hold as much yeah like, it doesn't hold on to it right yeah. yeah but we also dispelled another myth and that was this idea that javelinas are cl- more close and we both heard this idea that javelina are more closely related, like related to rodents than they are feral hogs. Right. Come on, they look like a feral hog. They act like a feral hog. In, you know, as far as their behavior, they both chomp their teeth at you. Um, Except for one important difference: a feral hog eats other dead pigs, right. and javelina pretty much only eat the same thing the deer do. But go ahead. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean that is really the only difference. It's an important difference because it yeah. translates directly to how they eat. But the, but we looked it up, and it, they're definitely more cl- closely related to pigs than they are rodents absolutely i think um collared peccary you know that was interesting henry said dad after he shot that javelina he goes i was aiming right behind that white collar around its neck and i said oh well that's actually called a collared peccary son he goes no kidding yeah so yeah that, that was cool that he used that term mm-hmm. i think they're in the same order as pigs from what we looked up so you know there's like kingdom phylum family class order genus species order wow, class, we're going genus, all the way species. back to seventh grade biology yeah, I think it said they were in the same order. Yeah. So, but yeah, so you uh, so talk about how you talk about how you cooked it. Uh, same way I've done it each time. I need to uh, branch out and try something new, but uh, so far uh, it certainly ain't broke. So I, I haven't tried to fix it yet. I take the javelina meat. Normally, I will say there was one thing I would have done, uh, you know, if everything had allowed for it, which would be to age it for like a week. We mm-hmm. ate it the day after we cleaned it doesn't didn't change anything as as far as the gamey i mean there is no gaminess there's just there's none there's zero gaminess but i would have done that um normally i would just because but um i brined it overnight it was uh we ate the hams and the back straps and the tenderloins off of it the shoulders were uh pretty well obliterated so um yeah brined them overnight um in just a simple salt brine um salt garlic water uh, along with those uh, big chunks of venison neck roast. And then uh, I used this. I, I looked up a while back uh, Mexican-style dry rub, and I found it on, um, I don't remember what website. There's a whole bunch of them. Every, you know, If you just Google that, you'll pull up a whole bunch of them. But the kind of key to it is it's heavy on like cumin, oregano, paprika, um, 
uh, you know, chili powder. Um, there's no sugar in it. Like a lot of, you know, most dry rubs for like ribs and stuff would have sugar in them. Although that would be good. I'm sure that you could do the exact same rub you use on pork. It'd be fantastic. I just like doing tacos out of it. So I go with this sort of Mexican style. So it's real savory and spicy, not, uh, sweet, but so put that rub on them and then smoked them. I don't even remember how long they were on there, man. It was done four hours, um, maybe four at least, hours? at least four or five, maybe even six Yeah. at two twenty-five, The meat was done, but uh, you know, you got to get it to pull apart. So done's like one sixty to one sixty-five, like any white meat. Um, but to get it pull apart tender, you got to get it to like one ninety-five, two hundred. So what I like to do is smoke it for as long as I, as I can, and then pull it, put it in an aluminum pan with some, there's this chicken stock that you can get. Uh, certainly at HEBs in Texas, that's uh, it's a Mexican product, Mexican chicken stock called Caldo de Pollo. Um, so it has the same similar, you know, uh, spices and herbs in it, I guess that my rub does. Mm-hmm. Put that in the pan, put the meat in the pan, cover it with aluminum foil, stuck, stuck it in the oven at like 230. Just to, That's a very uh, important component is the covering it. Otherwise it dries yeah, out. Right. So. No, absolutely. I, and, you know, I think that meat would have been, we both tried a bite of it when it was before I put it in the oven, chewy. Uh, you were, you found it chewy, but it wasn't dry. Yeah. Um, when I've done it in the past and the first time I ever did it, I just, I didn't give myself enough time on the smoker. So I ended up like cubing chunks of meat off of it for the tacos and then finishing in the oven and eating leftovers from it. And, um, that was not chewy and might've been the piece we were trying to cut off. I don't know. Yeah. It wasn't chewy at all. Uh, and it, and it was very moist. But yeah, for sure, the moisture content is improved by the chicken stock. And then if it's if it gets dry at all, and this goes the same for venison, if you cook it as a roast, pot roast or something, if you do have any dryness, throw a tablespoon of lard in there and you're done. Or you could even yeah. just put a little olive oil in it. Any kind of grease will just lube it up yeah. and it's good to go. But yeah, from there, the creme de la creme is the fresh, uh, badass Laredo uh, masa uh, tacos that you have to fry. They're raw. You can get yeah. those too at most grocery stores. You know what? Ashley bought some last night or this week from HEB that are corn mixed with uh, cauliflower mm-hmm. to act more like a flour. And dude, those were really, really good tacos. They were a lot like the ones uh, from that uh, Laredo, Mexico store where they don't fall apart on you like a lot of corn tacos do. Um, they kind of have almost like the combination of like crispy chip and a little bit of flour chewiness to them. Anyway, uh, freshly fried and butter corn tortillas. The wheat ones were really good too. Um, taco, fresh pico de gallo from a restaurant in California, uh, Corpus Christi killer tacos, man. Yeah. I mean, everyone in camp devoured them. Yep. And no one said anything about any, anything other than, wow, this is excellent. So have Lena awesome table fair. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an awesome weekend for sure. And maybe Henry and I are going to come back this week. I don't know. We shall see. We'll talk about that off the air, but we certainly appreciate it. The girls, Oh, the twins had a blast. And I think the one Aaron had, she went out and sat with uh, my girls and Sarah, Sarah. who is the same age as the twins. Right. Um, and I'm sure that was a, S show having all three of them in the blind. 
but they saw a couple deer so they said they had a great time <laughs> yeah, yeah they watched they watched i think 10 deer mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah they did have a great yeah. time so we had a good a good weekend as far as what's going on in the world though let's start with cnn because we didn't talk about it last week Cuomo finally got fired. Now he's joining his brother uh, as, uh, you know, in the ranks of the unemployed. However, I don't think he has any sexual assault charges pending on him. But he got fired for, like, helping cover up what his brother was doing. Oh, there was a a former executive producer from his show that has claimed that he grabbed her ass in front of her husband. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, he's not without his incidents i think there's one or two others out there but i don't know that any of them ever brought charges or anything like that they weren't like yeah um yeah he's a he's a bad guy his brother's a real bad guy too um dirty pricks both of them yeah um got what they deserve both of them it's an indictment on cnn as to why it took this effing long because none of this is new news this is all coming on a year old revelation. You know, it's interesting because this has been well reported on, but they had a policy at CNN prior to COVID-19 that Chris Cuomo was never to interview his brother, Andrew, Andrew, because it would be uh, basically a, a Boy, that went out of, the window. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a journalistic, like ethical conflict, but we're not doing journalism. Chisholm. Right. So not once crap. COVID even. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> COVID literally stopped everything, including journalistic ethics as you see if you turn on any news organization or go to Google. Um, yeah, so he uh, started having his brother on because his brother became the hero of COVID, despite the fact that he was killing old folks in New York State, uh, what seems to be effing deliberately by sending sick COVID patients into nursing homes, which, dude, this is one of those things, and I know we're going to get to him that Peter McCullough points out, this virus is not unique in that it kills old people. Um, that's what happens to old people when they run into bad viruses. The viruses often take their life. Yeah. So it's not like you had to be like really up on the data from COVID to know it wasn't a bad idea. It wasn't a real good idea to put a dangerous respiratory virus in nursing homes. Like knowingly could have been anything it could have been cold sores (laughs) you know like uh. yeah anyway so yeah so his brother they're having their you know daily or or we at least weekly little updates where they're bringing out big huge cotton swabs and doing a bunch of jacking around shit and of course chris cuomo got covid had to quarantine had a big fake staged quarantine reveal even though he'd been like jogging around his neighborhood and stuff like where he pretended to come out of the basement it was all a big crock. He's completely full of it. He was like the one of the very most staunchly like loud mouth. And his brother, too. Andrew and Chris Cromo both claimed to be and pretended to be these, you know, paragons of me too virtue, right? Believe all women crap. Meanwhile, you know, for sure Andrew Cuomo is feeling mark, up every mark every, that. Believe all women crap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am the father is four girls. As anybody who's listened to this show at least once is aware. Um, You don't believe all of any group. Right. It's just all there is to it. Yeah. People lie for all sorts of reasons and all kinds of purposes. And And uh, these were two of the biggest That's why we have what's called 
Yeah. And that's why we have what's called a trial by your peers in this country. You go to court and is it a perfect system that puts every, you know, assaulter and rapist away? No, it's not. Um, is it better than just imprisoning people on an accusation? Yes. Yes, it is. Is it so better anyway. than like in the third world where you steal something and they just chop your hand off in some countries in the Middle East? Uh, I would say, yeah, it's probably a little better than that. I mean, if they're convicted by a jury of their peers and that's the punishment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you're just accused of stealing something and you get your hand chopped off, that's not okay. Right. Um, I can tell you this much. I saw Mayor London Breed, whose name is ridiculous from San Francisco is apparently going to try to crack down on, you know, that completely out of control crime uh, infestation that California in general is dealing with. And the cat's Bay out of the bag, dude. There's no, I yeah. don't think you can. She gets much more desperate and she might go to a little bit of an eye for an eye type of approach. But uh, speaking of weird names, did you know Bill de Blasio's actual name? Bill de Blasio, right? New York yeah. city mayor is actually like, like Waldorf, dude, it is something so Germanic, like, <laughs> say something while I look it up, dude. So Germanic, uh, Bill de Blasio. I didn't know he had a, that this wasn't his real name, his God-given name. Warren Wilhelm Jr. Huh. How, how, how straight out of uh, the SS does that sound? <laughs> wow. Warren Wilhelm Jr. He changed his name, he took his his mother's maiden name, I believe, or maybe even been like his grandmother's maiden name of de Blasio. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, and Bill, like he calls himself Bill, but it's like, his name is Warren. It's like, yeah. Beto. Yeah. Right. Equal, equally is like terrible. Beto. Just Which, like, like we've talked about, Beto's the gift that keeps on. He might be him. worse because he's actually in charge of, you know, what used to be the, uh, one of the you know the most important city in America. You know, uh, I used to like Beto. Just loses. I, I would never want to live in New York City, and I never. In my late twenties, when my wife moved there, when we were dating, I was like, oh, I guess I have to like go to New York now occasionally and like visit her and romance her and stuff. <laughs> and it's called courting. Yeah, that too. Um. I enjoyed my time there, man. I really did. I enjoyed the culture and the food. I I liked getting on the subway. I, w I wouldn't choose that for everyday life, you know? But I enjoy enjoyed soaking up the culture. Just like when I travel, I like seeing how other people live and experiencing that, even if it is a little bit inconvenient for how what I'm used to. But New York's a, it was an awesome city. It really was. Especially and it will visit. be. It, dude, it will be again. Let's hope. I, I, I don't think California will be. Mm -mm. nope not if you see what's going on with the homeless people in san francisco how how do they put that cat back in the bag i don't think that they can like californians are so caught up in the well you know we have to do what's best for them what's best for them is to put them in jail so they can deal with their drug habit because it's all based off of drugs no you're you're enabling you're an enabler because you're letting them do you're giving them a safe space to do to do drugs what comes along with drugs crime that's what that's yeah that's what it is illness those people are not there because they're they're having they, they fell on hard times chisholm they lost their job that's not why they're there they're because they're drug addicts yeah i'm sure that there's lots of reasons but um to your point when you take a 
very permissive stance on tent camping in a city and you know just open it up for vagrancy and homelessness you're going to get lots and lots of vagrants and homeless and it we may have talked about this in the show before but um my brother-in-law my sister and brother-in-law live in austin the homeless crisis that took off there whatever it's been almost three years ago like i think i've said you know if 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 they ever become quote red pill that will be their first dose was that instance mm-hmm. they uh, jesus described them like the, the homeless folks you know, along Congress and sixth, you know, sixth street, he was like, dude, they're so entitled. He's like, they, they harass you. And if you don't give them whatever you have on you, they, they dog cuss you and, you know, become aggressive and, you know, they act like you owe them something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what happens when you say y'all come on in do whatever you want. There's no laws that apply to you. We, we, we want this in our beautiful, shiny, clean kick-ass you know architecturally and aesthetically pleasing you know little urban utopia yeah because (sighs) it's just too mean to actually do what needs to happen it's too mean we can't do that we can't do that it sucks man because you know dude as a christian i get really torn by this i well, God tells us to take care of the homeless, figure, right? right. The less fortunate. The, that's not what these people are. These are that's, drug addicts and mentally ill people. That's a very different thing. Like, well, and you don't take care of them by just enabling it, right? That's the, that's the that's always where I come, you know, confidently to when I think about this issue. And that guy who wrote that San Francisco book that we've talked about a little bit, uh, that's been on with Rogan, uh, can't think of his name at the moment, but. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a hardcore lefty who's been working on this stuff for a really like since the since the 90s. Right. He used to work for an organization funded by George Soros. And he's saying he's been over to Europe to look at how they, uh, you know, kind of deal with these sorts of situations. And he's like, listen, man, having these what he calls open air drug scenes, Mm -hmm. which is what you're talking about, you know, in these these major cities is not good for those people. Like you said, take them in for the night give them a bed even if that's in a even if that's in a you know in a jail cell and you know put procedures and processes in place that when you let them out they have to go get help you know mm-hmm. uh michael schellenberger is the author's name for anybody who but wants to yeah but then we talk so about cool. like the hundreds of millions of dollars that is allocated for the homeless in these places none of it goes to those rehabil- rehabilitation programs no, it goes to real estate holders. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, I mean, that's how you know it's a scam, right? Mm-hmm. If they really wanted, if they really wanted to fix homelessness instead of taking that money and just, you know, paying some rich guy who's already rich, like the mayor of Austin, who's been a real estate attorney for 30 freaking years, him and all his buddies, they get, you know, their hotels and apartment buildings booked up and nobody even has, even stays in them because the homeless people don't want to have to play by any kind of rules. Instead of doing that, you would, you know, use that money for, you know, shelters, programs, and enforcement, you know, you would run those people off the streets and say, we've got a place for you, but here's the damn rules. Right. And, you know, do your best to try to get them to play ball. And, uh, you know, if they go elsewhere to just continue to be a vagrant, well, you've tried, I guess, you know, but yeah, yeah. You can't fix every person, man, no matter how much the left thinks that they can. Nope. And the vaccine can't fix everyone, including professional athletes. Chisholm, the Chicago Bulls, November 4th, 
reached 100% vaccination status. The entire team. And if the team yeah. is vaccinated, you know all of the front offices because they, they're like mandated to do it. The NBA right now still doesn't have a mandate, but there are certain arenas like or like New Jersey, Kyrie Irving still, and we've talked about him on the show. He's still not playing. I'm hoping the Mavericks uh, yeah. trade for him, to be honest with you. I think Get it's a state thing. Porzingis right. and bring in Kyrie, uh, who's a flat earther, but also doesn't want to put the vaccine in his body. Why does he want to do that? Oh, because he's in the top 1% of the healthiest human beings on the planet. And doesn't need it. So anyway, the whole Bulls team vaccinated. Last week, they canceled two of their games because 10 of the 14 players on the active roster had COVID. No way. How does, how does that happen? Um, because... <laughs> I bet you the four that don't have COVID already had it and have natural immunity. I would be willing to bet money. <laughs> Probably. It happens because the vaccines aren't real vaccines. Yeah. Um. I have another one. But hey, none of them died, so they worked. Right. None right. of them died, so they worked. Remember that. And yeah. if they were really old and they had had the shots and still died, well, it'd be because they were really old. Kind of like how 80% of everybody who has died from it has been over the age of 60. So also... he's really old, but half of it has been over 80. So I, I always half, like to track... Half of all the deaths. Half. Right. Over half. 80, half. I like to track... Professional sports are the for me, like the barometer, just to prove how stupid this all is, because these are the healthiest people in the world and they're getting vaccines they don't need and they're all still getting COVID. Odell Beckham Jr. caught a touchdown pass on sun, on the Sunday night football game, Monday night football game, against the, uh, he was playing for the Rams, caught against the Cardinals. The next day he goes into COVID protocols along with like 12 other players. The, the Rams are already missing like seven starters and then um, OBJ and, and some of the other players also on Tuesday. So they played football on Monday on Tuesday. Now they're in COVID protocol. And this is what their coach, Sean McVay, had to say. The scary thing about all of this to me is every single person is vaccinated that we're talking about. That's the thing that's the most concerning about all of this is that everybody has done exactly what they were supposed to do. <laughs> Remember when Belichick said kind of exactly that this summer? <laughs> uh, when they were starting training camp, I guess, and they were uh, losing, everybody was losing their minds about whether or not uh, Cam had been, mm -hmm. Cam Newton had been vaccinated before the Patriots cut Cam Newton. And uh, man, Belichick straight called it out. He, he's, I guess that was when Delta was raging and he was kind of like, uh, I don't really see why it matters. Cam's a young, healthy guy. He's not at risk. And, you know, sounds like, if you're paying attention to the news and you look at the fact that all you people who are vaccinated are masked right now, but this thing isn't really stopping it anyway. So why are we requiring it? Mm -hmm. Now, if Cam, if there was a vaccine that could make Cam like stop throwing interceptions, that might be one he should take, but he got cut because he was bad at football. Not because he wasn't, I mean, Aaron Rodgers wasn't vaccinated. You didn't see the Packers cutting him. So no, of course not. Sorry. Uh, so have you seen the study that just came out? I think yesterday, maybe the day before, uh, about um, COVID nineteen uh, attacking fat cells in particular. Well, I heard Doctor McCulloch talk about that in the Joe Rogan interview. That we oh, did he mention it too? I, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot. I, he yeah. he really went into why it's affecting obese people more than normal or slightly chunky like myself or skinny people like you so 
Yeah, well, so so the, this study was reported by the New York Times. It's everywhere right now. And yeah, it, the the actual infection, the, the viral infection uh, stores itself. It attacks and, and like kind of breeds in fat cells. Um, and that they're saying, you know, maybe why it creates such a, a huge inflammatory response. But speaking of like news that's barely news. Okay, so we needed a study to confirm kind of what we already knew. But it is interesting to, note, to realize, okay, it actually kind of blooms and, and gets worsened by the amount of fat you carry. Um, but I thought that the left has been telling us that, um, it's not unhealthy to be fat. No, no, it isn't. Oh, okay. Who's the only, only it's only unhealthy to be fat when Fauci creates a man-made virus that attacks fat cells. Mm -hmm. That actually, I guess, makes a little bit of sense. Lizzo, Lizzo. She's the one that, uh, yeah. Extremely obese. I can't wait. You know, it's coming, dude. But that lady, that lady's going to, she's going to. She's it's gonna do what Adele did. To weigh 250 pounds. She's gonna do what Adele did and lose like 120 pounds. I guarantee it. Sometime in the next three years, give her 36 months if she lives that long. Uh, God willing, hope she does. Yeah, uh, but she's really, really big. Yeah, she'll uh, she'll show up and be a shell of herself. Watch. Like we Clay. should rename our show the Fat Shamers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well you know what man part you know of, I, part listen, of a justified dude, pursuit is being healthy so we're not I don't apologize it is and i you know i <clears throat> i have people overweight that i love very dearly me too um and again i would I refuse, fall in the I refuse, overweight category i'm 510 and weigh 210 pounds so i, re I refuse to bow down to woke uh, you know, politically correct nonsense about, you know, that aimed at bending and warping reality. It's not healthy to be overweight. And the fact of the matter is, yeah, there are people who are prone to being overweight, no doubt about it. And I certainly feel for people who have a much harder time controlling their weight than people who are very naturally able to do so. But at the end of the day, as you age, it comes down to diet and exercise, period. So obesity is a disease of laziness and a lack of discipline. And that's all there is to it. I was listening to this podcast earlier, which I've mentioned before. It's called Breaking Points with Crystal Ball and Sagar and Getty. And I get really tired of listening to Joe Rogan talk about how they have the most important and the best show in the world. It's supposed to be a conservative in Sagar, a, 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 an Indian heritage guy from Texas. He's a Texan, but you know, okay. I've listened to a Joe Rogan episode where they were on, so I know who you're talking about. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, they they do bring something very valuable to the table. They dive deep into what's going on in Capitol Hill and tell you the truth about from both sides. You know, so so he's a conservative and she's a, a progressive leftist. But the truth is, they're both big ass populists. They're both m more progressive. They're both like a hardcore union. They're both like. Let the government give a bunch of money away to everybody so that they can, you know, quote, not starve to death or whatever. <sighs> um, what the hell did I get off on them for? They were talking about uh, obesity, maybe. Yeah, well, they were talking about, oh, they were talking about fitness and, and you know, certain folks just not even having the, the time or ability because they're, you know, working their asses off to make ends meet this sort of thing, you know, and don't get me wrong. That's certainly the case for some folks, but 
Dude, I would venture to bet that just about everybody can find 30 minutes every other day to work out a little bit. But even without that, dude, I was working my working out like a maniac for five years. And then one day I decided to stop eating sugar and carbs and I lost 10 pounds of belly fat and I've had a six pack ever since. Mm-hmm. So maybe you don't have time to, you know, exercise, which you can do in your garage for the record, but uh, I don't give up beer and sugar and bread. So that's right. I mean, I'm still carrying that. Yeah, but you can still keep up with me in the mountains and you're a healthy guy who kicked COVID in no time. Right. So, you know, you're, you're healthy Husky, right. But my wife said she likes it. And that's all that really matters at the end of the day, man. (laughs) She likes it. That's what's important. I mean, I I just, wouldn't you like a six pack better though, babe? you, You can, you can do some push-ups and some sit-ups and go for a jog. You don't need an expensive gym membership. Look and at even if you think Walker, you do need a gym membership, did. a Planet Fitness membership calls fifteen buck costs fifteen bucks a month. A you know a uh, Gold's Gym membership costs like twenty. So what's that's the, not what's terribly the point expensive, of all but you don't even need all that. We could rag on the fat and unhealthy segment of the population sector of the population forever. The point is, is that COVID is more is more likely to kill you if you're not healthy. So it kills old people and heavy people. And that's really about it. And which was the whole point of what you brought up is that it attacks the fat cells in obese people more so than, you know, if you have all that fat, you're going to have more COVID replications. What I thought, and let's go ahead and talk about Dr. McCullough because you told me I needed to listen to this episode. And I don't, I don't listen to really any other podcast. Unless you tell me you need to listen to this one. It's, it's that important. Okay. So that's not a secret. I mean, I'm, I'm very transparent. I do feel like I'm in the studio all week doing podcasty things, editing, producing everything. So I want to sure. listen to mindless. You still are plugged into everything. So you manage to consume information about it. And you know where I get a lot of it? Social media, right? Sure. Which is, and that just goes to prove that social media is a news outlet. Essentially, that's where people are getting their news. Now, once you see a headline, you have to then go on the internet and research it and determine if right. it's true or not, right? That's up or, to you. Right. Where but I see the headlines, generally that. speaking, because I don't watch the news. Oh, it doesn't make me angry. So I find the headlines and then the ones that pique my interest or people send them to me. A lot of people send them to me. Like, hey, did you see this? Okay. Well, then I go research it. And it's so easy to research. Like, well, it used to be. Now Google's like trying to clamp down on that but especially the stuff they don't want out there. But, um, but yeah, so you said, listen to this episode, Dr. Peter McCullough, he's a Texan. And I, I immediately recognized his voice because I had watched 10 minutes of him testifying in the Texas, was it, it was in front of some committee, maybe that even the Senate, I don't know. But the whole point of that testimony and what he really is talking about on this episode of Joe Rogan is that we don't treat COVID. We just don't even treat it. Right. It's like still don't. Yeah. And well, and he's been trying to get people to come up with like the medical realm as physicians. And we'll talk about his credentials momentarily, but why don't we, when a patient comes in with an initial COVID infection, have a treatment plan so that they don't end up in the hospital? And how has that been missing from the from for the last almost two years in March? How has that not been something that they focused on? None of them have a plan, Chisholm. Dude, Cable, it's so much worse than just that, right? 
Yeah, if you just say that, two years in and major hospitals across America, including you know those associated with the likes of Harvard and Johns Hopkins, refuse to offer treatment to people who come in with COVID. That seems bad enough, but think about the fact that those doctors who have put together protocols and promoted protocols and offered certain drugs that shall not be named to sick patients, regardless of outcomes, although the outcomes have been pretty good, are demonized, canceled, shouted down, dismantled. Like, dude, it's so much worse than that. I've said for months and months and months, man, this ivermectin thing, I don't give a damn what you think about ivermectin. I know I took it and it systematically eliminated every, every, every symptom that I had over a three day, you know, three, three doses basically. Right. But let's pretend it's a 50, 50 coin flip. We know it's a super safe drug. Four and a half billion doses have ever been prescribed. There's been 27 severe adverse events ever recorded ever, ever, mm -hmm. ever. That's a fact. I heard Dr. Peter Atiyah say that on Joe Rogan's podcast, and I've looked it up for myself and put it on our show notes just in the last day or a couple of days. 28 adverse effect, adverse, severe adverse reactions in four and a half billion doses. Right. Why in God's name is it not okay for a doctor to try it? Just yeah. to try it. When you, when you, what have in the hell? This is so, that's where I get like, I, I can't help but see how hard just, was it for I you see to find the it? devil it in this dude that Satan is working in this you know what's funny on that and I did want to make this point today so I've been working on show notes FYI everybody I'm on episode 51 we're recording what 58 right now yeah so I'm getting really close to getting caught up and I will be caught up by Christmas so all of our show notes will be up to date um I think we bet a really really strong rate on accuracy but when we've been wrong which we have been I post a note a link that shows we're wrong. So read yeah. everything we've ever posted, but, um, God dang it. Would you ask me, man, I'm spacing out. So I, I said, how hard, so you had COVID and how hard was it for you to get ivermectin? You even called oh, me because you knew yeah. I had a buddy that I hunt with. That's a doctor. He's like, could he get me some? So why was it so damn hard for you to find it or find someone yeah, that I mean, facilitate so, giving you a prescription? <laughs> I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but interestingly, I had some on hand because in April, Ashley got sick. She went to the local emergency clinic, and that was before the hardcore anti-ivermectin machine got drummed up, right, that McCullough talks about that we've all seen where they start calling it, you know, horse pills and blah, blah, blah. There was data coming out, and there's still data that, dude, there's 70-something major peer-reviewed blah, blah, blah studies that show it is working for people. This, this nurse practitioner, um, nurse practitioner, I think, uh, or physician's assistant, whichever, at this emergency clinic gave Ashley ivermectin just in case, gave her a test, said if the test comes back negative, positive, then take the ivermectin. Well, it turned out she just had a spring cold, so we kept it. So I was really lucky that the day I started feeling bad, I was able to take uh, a, you know, a full dose that's pretty close to what I would take for my body weight, right? And then the way that he had prescribed it, which is the way you take it if you have an intestinal parasite, and it's not the way that these doctors that are using it necessarily prescribe it, is you took two pills on day one and then 48 hours took the other two. So I took those two that Thursday. I started feeling bad when we recorded, took the other two on Saturday when I went and got confirmed. Yep, I've got COVID. Um, and then started looking, and this link is in our show notes all over the place, but the frontline 
COVID Critical Care Alliance is a group of doctors. Um, probably the most prominent name in them is Pierre Corey, Dr. Pierre Corey, because he's been on with Rogan. He's also testified to the U.S. Senate. And YouTube took the video off the Internet of Senate testimony about the effectiveness of ivermectin. These guys have like a full-blown protocol, you know, vitamin D, zinc, um, ivermectin. Um, depending on the stage, they may add a, a Z-Pack in. Da 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 da. Right? It is like centering antibodies. I mean, a lot of them are trying that. This if was they all. They, they may have monoclonal antibodies listed now. At this time, they weren't as big a deal yet. Um. Anyway, yeah. You know so that I, the government ordered 500 million doses of monoclonal antibodies, according to Doctor McCollum. Yeah, and then no physicians can get them. Do so you remember when they very explicitly said this summer that they would were going to ration Not give them to Texas and Florida and Florida? Yeah, it because smells too much like freedom. We weren't we forcing yeah. mandates. Yeah, yeah forcing we need vaccine. more. We need we need more and worse cases of COVID. Yeah, if you want another beautiful example of the fact that they know this thing isn't working properly when <laughs> if you have folks that aren't willing to take the shot, they're supposed to be the ones that need the monoclonal antibodies, because if you got the shot, you're supposed to be perfectly fine. And yet the federal government stepped in and said, we're going to save these doses for the people who are behaving properly. Well, the people who are behaving properly, Jen, don't need it supposedly because your shots are so awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I found a doctor on there who got back to me on a Sunday, had a telemed med conference with him on a Monday, had my own prescription plus a prescription for Ashley. Charlotte was the only of our four that got sick, had her prescription within 24 hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, at the time he was asking me like, you know, what pharmacy do you use? Cause I'm having pharmacies reject my, uh, prescription. Like pharmacists were overruling in, in Texas pharmacists were overruling. Maybe still are. Doctor, is that legal, dude? I don't know. I'm telling you, man, when you listen to when you wasn't it funny to listen to McCullough We're mixing around a little bit, but let, let's set the table on him real quick. Dr. McCullough, all the skins on the wall, dude, all of them. He's like the grand champion of skins on the wall. <laughs> he has been he has over 600 peer reviewed published studies related to to cardiovascular issues. He's a heart specialist and a kidney specialist. Mm -hmm. And one of the, I think he's like basically the world's premier specialist in both of those things and how they interrelate. Okay. Mm -hmm. 600 published articles. That's more than any other cardiac specialist in the history of time. Thousands of citations. And by citations, that means another clinical research, uh, you know, doctor, whether that's an MD or a PhD or whatever, somebody in academia has cited to him in their own paper as, you know, relying on him as precedent for what they were making a claim for right. many, many thousands of times, more than anybody else in his profession. He's the editor in chief currently of three major medical journals on these topics. Yeah. Uh, he was the, uh, what, it, what would it be? The, the chief of the cardiac department at Baylor Scott and white up in Dallas, one of the biggest healthcare providers I mean, on the like whole he's damn the planet. Tom Brady of the medical field. He so, really, really is yeah. man. His, his credentials are truly impeccable, truly impeccable. And these idiots on CNN dismiss, dismiss him by claiming, oh, he's not an epidemiologist. Give me a freaking break, dude. He's a world-class doctor, a world-class doctor who's completely capable of reading the data. And that's all he does. And that's all he presents is the data. You know why I like him? 
because he cares about his patients, Chisholm. Absolutely. Right. That's and that's the whole gist and why 100%. we're talking about this. Why is this guy going on Joe Rogan? It's because he genuinely cares about his patients. He doesn't want them to end up on a ventilator. Right. And he wants to treat the root problem of initial COVID infection. That's right. And so I can tell you that when I went and saw the same nurse practitioner, I guess it was like four months after Ashley did, I went to the same guy she had seen, and he tells me the standard CDC line. There is no treatment for COVID-19. You, you're positive. There's no treatment available. Go home. You're young. You're healthy. You should be just fine. Go home. Take a Tylenol for your headache or whatever and body aches. If you have trouble breathing, come back immediately. That's exactly, exactly what this man, Dr. Peter McCullough, is talking about, dude. Mm -hmm. He could have given me ivermectin, erythromycin, you know, told me to go get some zinc and D. Yeah, hydroxychloroquine, all of these drugs that have been shown in various studies to have certain efficacy, particularly if given early. Anybody who claims there's no evidence that ivermectin doesn't work, they're buying a bought and paid for party line by Pfizer and Moderna that has been cooked up by deliberate counter studies being created where they're giving it to people who have had the virus for like two effing weeks and they're already on death's doorstep. Right. If you get ivermectin in you, preferably before exposure, it might keep you from ever getting it. It definitely helps prevent this is the NIH acknowledges this. The National Institute of Health, which Fauci works for, acknowledges that ivermectin kills stops viral replication in a Petri dish. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to believe that isn't possible in the human body. That's why prophylactically it may work really well at keeping you from getting sick or minimizing the sickness. If you get it right, whatever, dude, dude, I put the a point is of, of my dog on Instagram yesterday. She's dying of cancer. Three different people sent me direct messages. I have ivermectin for pets. I have treated my dogs that had cancer with this before. I will send you a tube. One's being FedEx to me today. I do. It's not going to cure the dog's going to die of cancer, but it, it might prolong your life a little bit. It might, well, it thing. might it has stop that dude, cancer from replicating so quickly. It's an anti inflammatory, it's mm-hmm. a protease inhibitor, and it has like two more methods of what are they? What are, do you remember the term McCulloch yeah, kept using? Mecha, mechanism of action or whatever it's called. Yeah, it's Me- got yeah. like. F- like four primary mechanisms of action that would work against any, basically any disease, dude. There's more and more data coming out all the time that basically every disease is an inflammatory disease, right? Every disease is the result of inflammation. This is clearly COVID-19, clearly an inflammation disease. The illness that cancer causes is inflammation. So if the damn thing is a hardcore anti-inflammatory, maybe that tells you something. I can tell you that when I got the third dose in my body, I was on Let's see, I, I guess I felt bad on Thursday, probably got exposed on Tuesday, right? So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So on Monday, I got my third dose. So I was my fourth day of being sick, my third dose. I go to bed and I wake up at 11 o'clock at night. I know I've told this story. The swelling in my throat, like right now, as I speak, I've got some mild swelling in my throat because of cedar pollen. I kind of, I've told it said before, I kind of always deal with that type of crap, right? My airways were so open I can't even describe it. Like it was the most clear headed, open, my nasal cavity, my, you know, my throat, any of that had really had been as long as I can remember. So I wake up and the inflammation in my shoulder is completely gone. All the inflammation in my head is completely gone. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast, but it's absolutely worth mentioning again. I was like as awake and energized as I'd been since I started feeling bad for four days, I hadn't eaten. So I was suddenly really, really hungry. 
So I'm going to the kitchen and I don't ever do this, man. I'm not one of these, you know, wake up in the middle of the night and go eat something people, but at 1130 at night, I'm, no, I'm grabbing everything I can get my hands on in the kitchen. And I'm like reveling in how much better I feel, dude. Like Mm -hmm. on the, at that moment, I was not sick. Like I was complete. And I would, I would, I I wish I would have taken a test then. I didn't take a test for like three or four more days. And when I took it, I was negative, but I would bet money that I had killed the virus within five days. Yeah. Um, but I'm sitting there, you know, scar- stuff in my face thinking about what a, you know, almost a miracle this is. And I, I got hit with the words, the Lord provides. And I didn't think those thoughts, God put that thought in my head. Mm-hmm. The Lord provides. I've said this on the show. You know, this ivermectin is not a drug that was developed. It's it was discovered. That's right. Yeah. It's the result, the byproduct of a bacterial process. And it's only ever been found to occur naturally in one little bitty place in the whole damn world. And one random Japanese scientist stumbled on it, dude. So yeah. is it possible that it treats cancer? Hell yes, dude. I don't think there's any doubt. You know what sucks? Is that the medical research establishment is all about funding new drugs. Somebody would have to fund for hundreds of thousands, if not a few million dollars, studies on the efficacy, you know, big 20 and 30. The only way, dude, there's so many people that dismiss these, these, these studies that have been done on ivermectin because they're like, oh, you know, 500 people in Argentina, that's not enough. Has to be 40,000 double blind placebo controlled. But but like you said, what Dr. McCullough said is that all these people that are, a lot of the people that are being included in the studies are already in the hospital. It has to right. be given yeah. on I mean, like they're day one, two, or three, right. like before right. your lungs are filled with blood clots. Like- right. So, 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 sort of two related points. One, these studies are expensive. The only people that fund them are governments and, and pharmaceutical companies. And unfortunately, yeah, thanks to like- Dr. Fauci, go read the book, The Real Anthony Fauci by Bobby Kennedy Jr., which we're going to review. Those two things are no longer separated. Fauci has made them the same. The government mm-hmm. and the big pharma, they're the same now, right? So the money goes to new drugs that Fauci and his cohorts at the NIH can actually profit from because they get royalties from drugs they help develop. So there's no money in experimenting with a 40-year-old discovery and figuring out what else it's capable of. There's only money in making new drugs that you can charge hundreds and hundreds of dollars for, right? Yeah. And then on top of that, if you need to prove that a God-given gift like ivermectin doesn't work, then all you got to do is fund a study that gives a whole sick bunch of people who are already hospitalized and sick a drug that doesn't work unless they take it the first day they feel bad. Right. Real easy. Right. And, and on the same note, hydroxychloroquine, which Trump took, which Joe Rogan took, which Dana White said thanks to Dr. Joe Rogan for the cocktail, which included that drug. Yep. Dude, Dr. Mercola said... France, and this was back in March of last year. So people were talking about hydroxychloroquine is working. And it's very much just like ivermectin, ivermectin. If given on day one, two, maybe even day three, the odds of it helping could be as high as 50%. Yep. Well, what happens? The second largest hydroxychloroquine factory in the, in the entire world just mysteriously burns down in Taipei. It burns down. Oh, dude. The worst was the fact that the French government mm-hmm. 
It was an over-the-counter medication. Again, yeah. hydroxychloroquine, extraordinarily safe. Not as safe as ivermectin. It can, it, it can have sure. some toxic properties, but it, so it needs to be taken properly, you know, but it's, it's, very, it's very well understood because of how common it is and how many yeah. times it's been dosed, right? And you said it was, it was an over-the-counter yeah. yeah. over medication in France. And when this thing breaks out, they make it a prescription drug and then they refuse to prescribe it to COVID patients. Yeah. Same thing in Australia. Then the, if, if a physician tried to prescribe it, they risk going to jail. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing in Canada. Can Canadian doctors risk losing their license. Well, if maybe they, it was if Canada. They, maybe I've misspoke there. Maybe it was. Canada, I think it was both. Okay. Yeah. Well, but I know in Canada, you? you could lose your license over not over daring to prescribe ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Right. So drugs that we know work in the beginning stages of covid infection now you can't get them and, and the amazing yeah, thing is and and he goes you know he talks about this in detail is it's not specific to the united states it's it, it was all of europe it was here it was australia really the only countries that kept using these drugs were third world countries it's um Again, you're talking about drugs that were approved. You're talking about doctors practicing medicine because that is what's, what it means to take an off-label drug and try it on a disease it wasn't necessarily approved for. Just to make it clear, right? The FDA approves drugs. First of all, the FDA doesn't approve treatment protocols. So like if you need three different drugs to treat something, right? The FDA doesn't do that. The FDA approves drugs on an individual basis for very specific conditions. But then once the drug is approved and available, doctors can use it for anything. That has always been the case. That's again, it's called the practice of medicine for a reason. Oh, this drug has been, you know, according to the FDA, approved for this use because it's got A, B, C, and D you know, active mechanisms and it does these things. And you've got this condition over here that's really similar to what it was approved for. So let's see if it works, right? Mm -hmm. That's an, a known quantity. And again, especially if it's like, well, this treats inflammation and this is an antiviral. So maybe if we put these two things together, the FDA doesn't approve those sorts of things, but that's what doctors get to do. The fact that these approved drugs were not just, you know, not being promoted, not being endorsed by the cdc fda etc in this country but specifically being attacked forbidden and across yeah. the country people losing their licenses getting you know threatened with fines and imprisonment you know governments taking them from over the counter to you know putting them behind the counter and requiring a prescription like did you notice joe tried three times at the beginning of the show to ask ask mccullough like, did this have anything to do with the fact that Trump endorsed hydroxychloroquine and everybody hated Trump? So everything Trump could Trump said was a lie. And, and McCullough was like, well, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the timeline. But mm -hmm. some of these things happening in happening in France and other places. He's like, I'm pretty sure all that was like March, like well predated because right. it was the summertime when Trump started talking about hydroxychloroquine. Right. Mm -hmm. He's like, so, I, you know, I just don't think the timeline matches up, Joe. But then, so he, Joe kept pressing him, wanting to know, like, why would they do this? Why would they do this? And he, man, he was so hesitant to finally just say, because there's some kind of psycho conspiracy going on that was designed to allow people to die from this for some damn reason. And it appears just to line the pockets of Big Pharma with many billions of dollars, I'm of the opinion also to maybe 
check the population a little bit. Because yeah. we all know that Bill Gates is real keen on that. Yeah. We'll talk I mean, about he, Bill he, Gates he, too, he just had nowhere to go, right? Like he kept asking him, why did they do it? Why did they do it? And like, great question, Joe. Why did yeah. they tell doctors not to practice medicine? I don't know, man. And that's, you know what? I keep There's my no- doctor, my physician, I'm, I continue to use him just because of he is the, the catalyst for physicians that are afraid to not treat their patients now. I mean, I get my testosterone from him. He told me that he, if I got sick, he wouldn't give me ivermectin, told me to get the shot. I was like, yeah, doctor, I'm not getting the shot because I have what's called antibodies from natural immunity. Uh, yeah, it's just like, <laughs> it's funny to me. So, man, it's not uh, funny to me, man. It, I mean, it's um, so, so sad that it's funny. It's, yeah, I mean, it's some of the so, other stats so that he talked about, though, just laugh about it, I guess. He said that if a, if a drug was approved by the FDA, after five deaths, they would review it. After 50 deaths, they would, pull without it. question, pull it off of the market. Yep. Every We're drug ever hundreds, that has led to 50 deaths has been pulled. Yep. Hundreds of deaths now. No, no, no. Thousands, of, thousands, dude. Of these vaccines. Right? Thousands. There's so, been something like, I couldn't tell you the exact number. I'll try to look it up for the notes. But there have been in the thousands that have dropped dead within 24 hours of taking the shots. Like, because of like strokes and stuff. Yeah. Like immediate, like blood clot stroke, you know, yeah. heart attack. Yeah. There's, there's been, it's in the thousands. I want to say it's like 1500. And I, I mean, my understanding that doesn't is that count has, people who died, you know, within a week or two weeks. Right. That's just the people who died like instantaneously where there's not really any way to say like it wasn't the shot. Right. And from what I've been told by people who have had it, when you go take the shot, they make your ass sit down for 15 minutes. Like you're not allowed to stand up and get it. You're not allowed to leave. They make it abundantly clear. You have to sit down and stay put. Don't move. We have to see what's going to happen here. Go ahead. Oh, some of the other stats that he brought up. Myocarditis. So he, this guy is the, the most well-respected heart specialist on the planet, right? Okay. Yep. He said that in a given year in the United States, they would see not at his practice, in the United States, Hold 150 on. cases of myocarditis in adolescent boys. I thought it was like 400 to 800. Okay, maybe, okay, maybe it was. You, I yeah, didn't uh, right about that. It was between like 400 and 800, and it was based off of a study out of Sweden and his own practice. He said he'd seen two or three in his entire career. Yeah. His entire yeah. career as a heart specialist. You know what seen- they're at in 2021? 13,000. <sighs> 13,000 compared yeah. to four, four to 800. Yeah. 13,000. And they want your kid to take this shot, man. The myocarditis thing. And and the other thing is the long-term side effects from myocarditis. Your heart's never getting back to that healthy level where it was before. Dude, so let's get into that because that's the point I wanted to make. I have seen many articles from allegedly respectable, trustworthy news outlets in the last, say, six weeks. Because, you know, as we've pointed out, the FDA themselves spent four hours talking about the myocarditis issue when they, you know, decided to grant emergency use authorization for boosters and decided to only do it for people at the high risk classes of 65 and up is because they were concerned about this myocarditis data. And then yet somehow decided to approve the damn shots for kids like three weeks later. But whatever. It's all good. When the guy you're talking about, when the guy came out and said, "Yes, the only way to find out is just to keep giving it to him," right. like they're Dr. They're Rubin, living yeah. lab rats, our kids. Yeah. 
His name is Dr. Rubin. I can't F think of you, his first dude. name, but he straight up said in a public hearing on emergency use for kids, we won't know about the myocarditis thing until we give them the shots for a disease that they're safe from. Anyway, <clears throat> I've seen these news organizations trying to claim mild cases of myocarditis, which tend to clear up very quickly and don't seem to have any long-term side effects. That's the way they're couching it. <laughs> they're couching inflammation of your heart, the most crucial organ in the body for just, you know, living. Because mm. you can live without a brain. It's called being brain dead. But you can't live without a heart pumping blood. Right. You can live with a mechanical one like Dick Cheney, <clears throat> that heartless SOB, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, anyway, yeah, they're just trying to dismiss it as like, oh, yeah, there's some, been some kids who have had myocarditis, but it like goes away really quick and it's no big deal. Dr. McCullough explains that if you have a case of myocarditis, the standard treatment protocol, the standard treatment protocol is that you're not allowed to do any rigorous exercise or physical activity for six effing months because you could end up having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. Six months. And, you know, and he said it's basically a condition that you have to watch for the rest of your life. Yeah. You have to change things for the rest of your life because you now have a pre-existing condition for the rest of time which was this case of myocarditis which can lead to all sorts of health problems so the fact that the the fact that journalists so-called journalists in this country would friggin dare to try to downplay or dismiss this myocarditis issue for parents and just in just young men in general because it's what did he say? It's like 80% of the myocarditis is, carditis ha is happening among young men. Yes. Yeah. I mean, dude, back in May, the CDC had an emergency meeting to address this issue. The high rates of myocarditis in men 30 years and under, men and boys under 30. Like, th this is not a secret. And they're still trying to pump this thing into people's arms, man. In that class, that class, which is so safe from this virus, it's laughable man uh, <clears throat> how many ahead. how many professional athletes going back to that have died of COVID-19 I don't know the number the, but the answer three, is zero three is soccer players this weekend fell out with chest cramps did you see that the answer is zero but yes I'm I'm watching the world cup in oh I'm sorry from COVID not from the vaccine yeah yeah I'm watching the world cup no it was the European championship sorry that was this right. summer and Euro, uh, they were still calling it Euro 2020, even though it was being played in 2021, which was kind of unstable. Right. But uh, well, the dude, um, oh, he played for Tottenham for the longest time. Christian Eriksen uh, was playing for Denmark, I want to say, and yeah, falls over, right. basically had cardiac arrest on the soccer field. 27-year-old. Soccer player, the fittest humans on the planet, falls over from that. And now we're seeing soccer players, especially soccer players, because I think it's the amount of oxygen that they're having and blood they're having to pump through their body because you're on a 120-yard field and you never stop running for 90 minutes. They're the ones that are now, like, just falling over with heart attacks. Guess what? Most of them have been vaccinated. Yep. Most of them. There have been one. I know I found one the other day that had not been vaccinated. I have to wonder if that's not a cover up. But um, so guess I'm pulling. I'm looking at the data right now. Guess how many humans in America 
have died under the age of 30. As according to the CDC, I'm, I'm looking at the CDC.gov website. They, 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 <laughs> they, they classify them as all deaths involving COVID-19. Involving COVID-19. Right. Which, so even- by the way, that's all the deaths that are reported as COVID-19 deaths because the total is just shy of 800,000, which they're reporting now. Oh, we're at 800,000. So that, that's all deaths involving COVID-19. But f- forget about that part. Let's just pretend like they all died from COVID-19. How many deaths in human beings under the age of 30 years old in America? And this data is hot off the presses as of today. Uh, 5,000. 5,436. Nicely done. In males who are the most at risk from myocarditis, how many uh, cases of myocarditis did you say we've had? 13,000, 13, according to world-renowned, baddest MFR of all time in cardiac specialty, Dr. Peter McCullough. 13,000. Mm-hmm. Males under the age of 29, 30, under, under the age of 30 that have died uh, with COVID-19 or had a death involving COVID-19, that would be 3,200 and... No, no, I'm sorry. Not even that. 2,900. God dang it. <laughs> it's around 3,000. I can't do math. Put it in the show notes. Oh, you're trying to do math on the fly. Okay. It's around yeah. 3,000. Yep. Yep. 30, just shy of 3,300. 3,300 deaths total. That's going back. This data goes back to the end of 2019. Because, you know, we all heard this about includes schism people with diabetes and asthma dude, and obesity. It's all deaths involving COVID-19. To their credit, they do break out like deaths involving pneumonia, deaths involving COVID-19 and pneumonia, deaths involving influenza, deaths involving all three. Yeah. Any every case of a person having died in America with COVID-19, according to a PCR test, which I believe, if I recall correctly, McCullough also points out as a BS way to test Mm -hmm. because it can pick up fragmentary pieces of virus that don't indicate you were ever sick with the virus. Well, and also why did I test positive for COVID-19 in Africa three months after I had COVID? Right. Like that's to me, that's a false, that it was a false positive. Yeah, for sure. It was a false positive. And the truth is that probably 70, 80% of everybody who was asymptomatically carrying COVID last year did not have infection they weren't infected with the virus they had a piece a fragment of the dna from the virus in their nose because they came across it and their body said get out of here bitch so this is very important because last night i had a bourbon with a buddy of ours brett you could shoot a little bourbon up your nose according to dr kumakullah and that would kill the virus yeah um problem but remember so brett had covid last fall right 2020 and then his wife got it in August. And I remember because he had to miss our fantasy football draft. He's like, Oh, I got COVID again. I was like, what? You're the first person I personally know that's gotten COVID again. So we were talking last night and I'm telling about telling him about this podcast I just listened to. And I said, did you have any symptoms? And he goes, no, not any. I only got I told you. I told you. Yeah, you did. And I said, so you didn't have any symptoms or whatever. He goes, no. The I virus was in his house. So of course he tested positive with that. My BS wife test. had COVID. Yep. That's why I got tested. So, so he's of, already, fi- he figured out he didn't actually have the virus. He's been, well, when I told got, him about this, he was like, oh yeah. yeah. So maybe, yeah, I didn't have the virus again. No. 
Yeah, he did not just, have an active case of the virus. He had and just like my antibodies came back when I was exposed to my kids' case of COVID <laughs> that we didn't know they had because they weren't sick. So, you know, what was the interesting thing was he said that you're not going to get COVID twice. The CDC is like now grappling with making that. He even said that they're admitting it, but I haven't found anything in writing where they're saying that. The, the, I did look at their website yesterday and it said, in very rare cases, one might contract COVID again. Boy, that's walking it back from what they said three months ago. Yeah. Very rare. Yeah, and he and he even said I would you know, I would argue I would I would assume very very much more rare than a twenty year old getting myocarditis. No, he <laughs> said the odds are like in the billions. Like yeah. he, he said, I'm not saying it's not scientifically possible that someone couldn't get it twice, but he basically said if you have had COVID, you're not getting it again. Yep. The good That's thing is, I think the the vast majority of the country is actually pretty hip to all this. They're like he pointed out, people aren't taking these shots, man. Um, I saw a poll earlier, but I didn't get a chance to track down where it came from that showed that a majority of Americans are concerned about vaccine side effects. Like the cat's out of the bag there. And, and you can just tell by the way the media, dude, have you seen one of those damn uh, compilations of brought to you by Pfizer? Yes, dude. It's all it's CNN, all CNN. MSNBC. It's not just CNN. That's cherry picked. You can name, dude, it's the NFL. It's Fox. It's, but but I mean, it's like oh, I was it's watching like, a Baylor football game the other day and yeah. it was a big 12 thing. It had athletes from all the schools. Get get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. Brought to you by Pfizer. Right. Yeah. But but even even before Do the, the vaccine, right thing right? Like, for your community, they're the yeah. biggest contributors to advertising that there are mm -hmm. the drug manufacturers. So. Like you name, it's so funny because it's like specific segment brought to you by Pfizer, specific persons, you know, specific journalists brought to you by Pfizer, their show, it, you know, and to your point, there have been like blatant PSAs, like, here's how great the shots are. And then at the end, it's like paid for by Pfizer. And it's like, <laughs> you know, even Trevor Noah from the Daily Show finally last week steps out and he was like, so the CEO of Pfizer is now saying that we need a booster shot for... Uh, that a booster shot will protect us from Omicron, you know, something to the effect of, you know, pushing more boosters. And he was like, he was like, is it not just a little bit of a conflict of interest that we're getting this information from the CEO of the guy who makes the drugs, right. and the CEO of the company that makes the drugs. And he got like, you know, half dogpiled, half applauded by, you know, everybody who's skeptical about this because it was like, Hey, maybe Trevor Noah is not just a in the bag. woke, you know, you know lefty, but, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, dude, um, Pfizer, Pfizer owns the media. They own it. And, and when, so when you know that and you're aware of that and you have no rose colored glasses that any of those dickheads on television are trying to tell you the truth ever, especially about this stuff, they don't have any financial interest whatsoever in telling us the truth about this virus or these vaccines. None. The only economic interest that they have as it relates to this virus and this vaccine is the money they get from the companies that make the drugs. Everybody has to understand that. That's their whole motivation. The guy who pays the check. Yeah. Right. That's who they're there protecting. So when you watch them right now, you see them spinning out of control about the Omicron variant. Even though in the same, if you watch CNN from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., which I have never done in my life and never will do, but I see their news articles often enough to know it. Right. 
one moment they'll be admitting, you know, the data on Omicron is it's like a really mild cold, like a really mild cold, like not even the shitty cold that you get, you know, once a year if you're prone to colds and live in a place where they get around. Mm-hmm. It's like a mild cold. Right. Yet you really need a booster shot. And panic is, I mean, you know, like on one in one fragmentary moment, they'll acknowledge it's like a non thing. Oh, but talk then about five minutes later, that. they're talking about how. But, you know, we never know. Fauci said it could just erupt into like a super demon. We don't we, know. We have about 15 minutes left. So I, I did want to quickly hit on the what he said about hysteria. And yeah. Mass formation. Mass formation, which I, there's four components components to it. Mm-hmm. And one of them is isolation, which we have done here in the last almost two years now. Some states are walking it backwards, trying to force everyone back into isolation over what you just described as something that equates to a very mild cold. Which, by the way, if you get a very mild cold and you have Omicron, congratulations to you because you're now immune to COVID. And he also said, going back to the initial SARS-1 virus that came around in 2006, I believe it was, he said there was never a case of someone getting that virus twice. And he said this is the same thing. If you have, a, if you have had an infection, you are immune. Right. And you have a broad-spectrum immunity. That's one point that has to be made. All these shots do is introduce into your body the spike proteins that do the most of the damage. So I will acknowledge that, right? So if you can catch immunity from the shot that lasts, say, 60 days, like they now claim, yeah, you're probably pretty protected from the damage the spike protein does. But as uh, Dr. McCullough points out, there's what he said, 27 proteins that make up the actual virus. Mm-hmm. And so when you had the vir- have the virus, you don't not only have immunity from the really bad spike protein, but every other protein involved. So you have what's called broad spectrum immunity, which is why as the thing mutates, it finds its way around the virus, the vaccines. And I'll touch on that in a second. Yet it doesn't reinfect people because you've got, you know, let's say half, let's say half of this Omicron variant, half of the proteins are the same proteins as you had as the, you know, I'm speaking as a layman here, right? But it's going to be in the ballpark, right? If it's half genetically similar to the original and you had the original, then you clearly have better protection than if the spike protein changed from what the shots were, right? And that's all you got from the shot was that one protection? Well, all that has to do is the spike protein mutates and now you no longer have that protection, which is why they're now working on a special shot just for Omicron, even though by all accounts, (laughs) it's completely ridiculous to do so. Let me, I want to get, don't let me... Let me touch on the Omicron first thing. As we speak, the CDC's website reflects that there have been 43 cases of Omicron in the United States. 79% of them, that's like 33, in fully vaccinated people. 14 of them in people that had already had a booster shot. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and, and one hospitalization, zero deaths, one hospitalization. Can you guess the vaccine status of the one person that was hospitalized? Fully vaxxed. vaccinated. Fully vaxxed. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't, it didn't say that they had a booster. So I think they just had their two shots or whatever. I'm making a shirt and it's going to say vaxxed without a shot. <laughs> yeah, well, let's Something to that. that it's, yeah. Yeah. It's a little wordy, a little clunky right now, but I, I, I like where you're going. The four yeah. conditions that must be present to create a mass formation. So mass formation 
my understanding. So I, I've, I've got a little bit of understanding of mass hysteria, like mass delusion, mass psychosis. There are real instances throughout history of like little subpopulations. Mm-hmm. The one that always sticks in my mind was a, a German village, like a walled village in like the 15th century in Germany where everybody lost, literally lost their shit because they were throwing feces at each other for like three days and like speaking in tongues and dancing in the street and fornicating and just all kinds of like the city went ape shit. And there were people like traveling in and out of the city that were reporting on what they saw. And then it like, as soon as it like happened, it went away. Right. Mm -hmm. It just stopped. Um, Anyway, it's a real psychological phenomenon. This idea that there's some sort of shared consciousness where everybody can lose it at one time. What I understand so far of a mass formation is that it's all of that, but like induced on people. You know, like like done somewhat somewhat temp, uh, In, intentionally over X number of X period of time, something like that. Maybe it is either way. So these are the four conditions that Dr. McCullough cited to. This is from, I think Thomas Casey is the psychology professor he cited. Does that sound right? I'd, I'd be lying if I said I remember that. So number one, as you've already pointed out, there needs to be uh, socially a lot of socially isolated people or people who experience a lack of social bond lockdowns people who experience a lack of quote sense making who are unable to come to sensible conclusions dude everywhere you turn for the last 22 months it's been nothing but a lack of sense making nothing wait right and i'll give you the example of okay you want me to get the shot right but you got the shot so you're protected so, so why do i have the, shot? the logic in that 100 right? dude it, it is one thing after another of com- not do just like Orwellian double think to the maximum, dude, mm-hmm. to the maximum. There's a lot of free floating anxiety, free floating because there's nothing to connect their anxiety to no focal point, unable to identify what's causing. And so no way to deal with it. That latter part, I'm not so sure about, but no doubt the media is in is actively engaged in the creation of flea free floating anxiety as so McCullough would points that be, out with would ticker that be tapes a synonym for just fear and fear mongering like you creating that yeah fear mongering yeah. for sure yes yeah. yeah i mean the media in this country and the government has very deliberately created non-stop free floating anxiety for almost two years now right and mm-hmm. made it worse by things like mccullough pointed out of you know refusing treatment to people who got the disease almost assuring that a higher than necessary percentage would end up hospitalized or dead. Right. Right. I mean, they've done things that they have pumped into our brains information. Remember last summer when they kept like every single time a kid died, they were making sure that every news outlet in America was reporting on it. I had friends that are smart, smart people. They were like, Oh, a kid died the other day. Like, look at the numbers. Yeah. There was a child that died the other day. He or she also had, you know, lymphoma. Right. right? But, Anyway, the last is a lot of free floating psychological discontent. They may, people may experience their daily, daily lives as lacking any purpose or meaning. Well, guess what? When you can't go to work because the government told you you can't, uh, that would create go see your grandma. Yeah. Can't attend a funeral. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Can't hold a wedding. All that. Yeah. Those are the conditions to, and, and so, I know you said you had to go, so we'll just be quick on this one. One of the things he points out and that, that I have uh, become aware of here pretty well through 
Bobby Kennedy's book, which he cites to, and he is quoted repeatedly in, uh, he being McCullough. Bobby Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci, talks about how Bill Gates and Fauci together have been running simulations, war game-like simulations on pandemics for about a decade now. Okay, I'm glad you went here because this is what I wanted to talk about. The most recent of them was October of 2019. They have names. The Gates Foundation. That's right. It was uh, Project 201, I think, right? Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Something 201. They, they war-gamed out this you know, coronavirus pandemic situation. And it, <laughs> it was the Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum in partnership with Johns Hopkins. They brought in media and medical in bed with each other. Yeah. Well, what you need to know about the World Economic Foundation is that they are legitimately the ones promoting something called the Great Reset that will create global equity for every human being and little, you know, village and whatnot all across the country. No, it won't create anything, but here's your rations. They very have them when we give them to you. They very explicitly want to take down America as the global economic superpower because that creates inequity, right? The World Economic Forum are bad, bad, bad guys. Bad guys. And they're the ones that are working on this thing. With another bad guy, Bill Gates. With another bad guy, Bill Gates, absolutely. So anyway, uh, so they had one in October. It sounded like it was a gala, like all the rich people come and they, they vet out how to simulate this pandemic. Which would come to forget for this was in 2019, right? 201? Uh, 20, yes, that one is 2019. And then a year later, we're in the throes of COVID pandemic, like four or five months later. Okay. Four or five months later. And it was specifically a coronavirus, specifically that came out of a quote, wet market in China. Mm -hmm. The one in 2017, so that the one McCullough talks about is from 2017, one of these pandemic, you know, practice runs uh but it was 2017 and 2019 and in both instances it was a wet virus jump coronavirus which i know to be false through my other show and talking to animal biologists that are saying yes you actually as a human could give the virus to a white-tailed deer the deer cannot give the virus to you so how would a bat give it to a person totally different subject but I mean, that's, that's the truth that I've come to know just from talking about what's going on with North American servants. Like how, the whole, which is why the virus escaped from the Wuhan lab, yeah, right? It I mean, any, anybody who's still, bat. right. Anybody who still believes that nonsense is asleep. Um, they definitely haven't availed themselves to any of the data, information, science, facts mm-hmm. uh, about how, you know, they've never been able to find after t- testing millions and millions of samples, this virus, the, you know, the, yeah, but so they the fact that this out. the fact that it has a it has genetic coding in it, which Fauci was informed of in February of 2020, which is a specific section of code called the GCCCG code or something like that, that actually makes these viruses, you know, able to infect humans. That is used in these laboratories for that exact effing purpose. Like it's got the it's got the spliced in code, man. There's not a question about it. We know where it came from. But the point is. They were doing these simulations over the last five years, and they used that exact narrative on us from day one. 
oh, it jumped out of a wet market. The terminology that they use, the the way that do they 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 forecasted out the the JRE the Rogan episode doesn't do a great job of getting into the details on this, so I would refer you to the Bobby Kennedy book because he details this stuff extensively in a whole chapter. They they brought media types in, they brought government officials in, uh, private sector. They bragged about how the the one in 2017 was the first one where they brought the private sector into the conversation. Oh, great. The for-profit pharmacy companies are, are, are part of this, this simulation modeling thing. That, cool. But they, they use, dude, everything they've been doing for two years, they planned that shit right down to using the terminology of like anti-vax and claim, you know, like, dude, I'm, the specificity is shocking. The way they demonize anti-vaxxers, that was planned, right? the way they continue to do so mm -hmm. using, you know, transitioning from, from hospitalizations and deaths to cases and having a rolling case counter. Remember how McCullough points out that when he sends that, when he, when he does a death certificate, six weeks, it takes six weeks to get it back. And yet we were getting real time death totals pumped into our brains from CNN and MSNBC on a daily basis. Yeah, dude, it's, uh, it's, it'll be really interesting to see five years from now what the majority of society thinks about this whole ordeal. Because I, I'm getting more and more convinced every single day that you and I are dead right. That, um, that this thing was... What I'm still not ready to say yet is, is that it was deliberately released. Although I, I won't give that better than 50-50 or worse than 50-50 odds. Hmm. Uh, the powers that be had a very strong interest in changing the scenery, right? So whether it was released or not, everything that happened since then, they have wargamed out and strategized and planned for. The propaganda machine, and it's published, man. It's out there. I'm yeah. putting, I've got the links. Did I put one in the show note yet? Well, it's just very I important to make that point, like, this yeah. isn't just cable and chisholm coming on here saying you know the q and on stuff like this is stuff that is facts it's published we're not we're not coming at you from a place of opinion <laughs> this is keep, keep in mind that keep in mind that the q and on phenomenon started primarily with an allegation that there was rampant sexual abuse of children happening by powerful elites all across the globe Whatever happened to the just saying and Jelaine Maxwell's on trial for that right now. Well, we wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. She's no she's one's supposed to be getting it. sentenced this week. So Jelaine Maxwell's on trial for exactly that. Bill Gates has been on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. Donald Trump's been on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. Prince Andrew from the UK has been on Epstein's plane. Clinton Epstein and Jelaine have stayed own, at the like, Queen's cabin. Bill Clinton stayed had at the his Queen's own, like, cabin room there. Bill Clinton's been on the plane 28 effing times. Yeah. Um, the CNN producer just got fired and is being charged for trying to groom 12 oh, and 13 yeah. year old girls. Yeah. So, you know, is QAnon out there? Yeah. QAnon's out there. Is it pretty clear there's a whole bunch of child assault, child molestation and sexual abuse going on all across the globe with really high profile people? Uh, yeah, that seems to be true. Why does money make people want to have sex with kids like the more powerful you get 
Like, why does that make your wiener hard for children? I don't understand it. Is do we not make enough money, children? I mean, uh, Chisholm, to get get that kind of mental disorder, or is it just because you it's something so taboo? You have everything else, and you're like, what's something that I haven't done? That's part know, of it. That that there's a little bit of that. I haven't um, diddled a thirteen year old yet. Let's try that. Pushing the boundaries. Um. You know, pushing sexual boundaries. If people get bored with stuff, there's something to that, right? The vast majority of us don't go all the way to pedophilia, obviously, right? But, you know, trying new things in the bedroom, everybody's into that, right? So there's a little bit of that. Just um, don't touch my butt. I think, I think drug use makes people do weird things that if yeah. they were sober uh, and squared away, they, they wouldn't be interested in. Um maybe in a lot of instances it's lack of options. I know one of the things they talk about Epstein is that he had a whole bunch of scientist geeky types like a Bill Gates, but like MIT professors and researchers and Harvard professors and researchers that he had, you know, on his roles that had flown out to the Island um, for them, he was offering them, you know, <sighs> what they talk about out there. It was, you know, it was 15, 16, 17 year old girls and don't get me wrong. That's evil as f but you can dress a 17 year old girl up she's gonna look like a woman that doesn't mean those guys knew what they were doing they didn't necessarily know that they were diddling 16 17 year old girls instead of 22 year olds right right? there's a real fine line there anyway i mean should a 50 year old man be diddling a 20 year old it's legal (laughs) that doesn't make it good uh dude but if you really want to go way down the rabbit hole um there's at least some people who speculate and I think cues among them that they derive some sort of power from it. And I don't mean just like power over that individual though. There's some of that, right? Like they, they say that rape is a crime of power, not of lust, right? People who rape, they do it to exert their power over somebody. Right. Um, so exerting power over a helpless child that alone may give people an extra boost but <laughs> I do listen to, there is one podcast that I, I do listen sometimes. It's called Serial Killers. And um, I, I, some of them are like 200-year-old cases. Some of them are very recent. But they do say that the whole thing with the ones that also rape or even in like post-mortem situations have sex with a corpse, it's all about power. Right. 100%. Yeah. There's also, of course... The element in all this that Q definitely promotes that they um, don't just sexually assault these kids, but they harvest their blood for adrenochrome. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I've heard this from my, my other brother. Your brother not who's the not woke. Yeah. <laughs> the one that's way, way, He's way down the rabbit hole. He's been sending this out. What's up, Jason? Over a year. Yeah. 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 Um, you, you were the first one that ever exposed me to the movie. Um, uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Adrenochrome is the drug they take at the beginning that wigs them out the most. Yeah, the stuff that that Depp tells that the attorney guy tells Depp, Benicio del Toro tells Depp, take a tiny, tiny bit. Right, right. That was adrenochrome. Mm-hmm. They say it. It's a real compound. Like I, I'm not getting full blown cue on everybody, y'all. Okay, but hear me out. Adrenochrome is an actual compound. It is naturally produced as part of your adrenal system. 
Uh, it's something akin, as I understand it, to adrenaline, adreno, adrenaline. Um, it is definitely made in sort of higher percentages in the, you know, like the younger you are, the more of it you make. Um, couple that with the fact that there are now scientific studies that prove that if you transfer the blood of a young mice into an old mouse, a young mouse into an old mouse, you can reverse aging in the old mouse. Did you know that? Hmm. Way That's to thing. really take us to a dark place to end the show, buddy. I mean, we were talking about <laughs> sexual predation of kids. I know. I know. You know, and to your point, wh- why? Um, hmm. There's a dark, there's a dark occult scene that your average American born and raised in a quasi Christian household is completely oblivious to. Um, that's not explaining all of it, but uh, it explains some of it. You look mm-hmm. up some of the cases of weird occult stuff that has happened, particularly out in California, where bodies have been like ritualistically, ritualistically, the bodies of children have been like, you know, <clears throat> chopped up and ritualistically posed out in Joshua Tree. Um, and, you know, just to be found dead in pieces and, you know, arrayed in some sort of formation. All right, well, um, we're going to end on a high there. So all the <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I generally liked that episode personally, and yeah. I think we'll have to go. I don't know. Maybe we just jump off the deep end into all of that stuff on an upcoming episode. But uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Hey, as we've said all along, if you are a person that is high risk, we're not telling you not to take those shots, man. They Absolutely. do seem and, and, McCullough, and McCullough. McCullough. Yes, and McCullough said to make it to be. Make sure we point this out. He did say that there is some beneficial effect in terms of preventing hospitalization and death in higher risk people, you know, for that period of time, the shots work, which is not very long. Um, but the treatments that are available and all that, he also says he believes that he could have reduced the death count in this country now. And he said this in Senate testimony before the, the state of Texas, so by 80%. Numbers. And he said 50% in front of the U.S. Senate months before, but more data came in in the meantime, and now he estimates 80%. Um, But if you're not high risk, take it from two guys who have had it. You're fine. And a guy whose wife is like suddenly having heart stuff. So, you know, there's that. I think I've talked her out of getting the booster, though. So I think uh, we're making progress there. Um, Okay, well... That's going to do it for episode 58 of Justified Pursuit. For my co-host, the good counselor, Chisholm Cook, I'm Cable Smith, and we will see you guys next week. Watch out for that rabbit hole. Crazy for thinking that my love could hold you. trying and crazy for crying and I'm crazy for love